Well, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, please, for our Scripture reading. Frank was going to read the Scripture and pray this morning, but quite during our prayer time, he said, I am just not feeling well, and I'm going to have to go home. So we'll add prayer, Frank, to our prayer list when we pray in just a moment. So 1 Peter chapter 1, now it's also in your bulletin, but I want to encourage you to use your Bible. God's people need to be comfortable using God's Word. We need to be comfortable navigating with it, turning here, turning there, uh, knowing where to find things. Uh, so I just one of my ministries that I want to encourage to people that I'm teaching is I want you to get comfortable using God's Word, because it is God's Word. It's a privilege to have it. So we need to be comfortable having it and just using it and going through it. So let's go. First Peter chapter 1, we'll start with verse 3. <clears throat> So Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your useless way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Well, Father, thank you for this time. Use it, Father. May the Holy Spirit be active in the hearts of each and every one of us 
This morning we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's just take a moment and kind of review what's going on. Peter's writing, giving comfort to hurting people, suffering people who have lost a lot. They've been through a lot. And he has given us all kinds of reasons of why we as believers in Christ should be living above our circumstances. And then in verse 13 of chapter 1, he reaches a conclusion and he changes by saying, therefore, and he gives us a series of commands, not requests, but commands. So let's read those commands. We've already gone through them, so we're not going to stay there. Therefore, prepare your mind for action. We talked about how the battle is in your mind. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So those are his commands. Now he's going to give us the biblical basis for the commands. The biblical basis for the commands. Let's look at verse 16. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now what does that mean? It means that every day of your life, every moment of that day, whether you're sleeping and just waking up, whatever you're doing, your minds, your emotions, your children that you're responsible for, your eyes, your motives, all of those aspects of our lives are involved in being holy and being Christ-like. Now, can we be holy like God? No. Not this side of heaven. But, That's the goal. That's the target. That's what we're reaching for. But what we can do is we can grow and reach spiritual maturity. We can grow and we can reach spiritual maturity. And that's going to be one of the themes that we're talking about today because that's what Peter's talking about. Now, when John Luke was here and John Luke was born and we had this cute little baby in the church and we all liked to hold John Luke and look at him and he was cute and we, we wanted to be a part of his life. And, but as a baby grows, becomes a, a little boy and then John Luke becomes a teenager. Oh my goodness, a teenager. He becomes a teenager, then a young man. As he grows, we're expecting different things from him as he grows and becomes older. And that's what the Lord expects from us. As we become Christians, he expects us to grow and to change in our life. He wants something else for us. We should be growing spiritually. That begs the application. Are you, or, and you, you, should have the, you have the right to expect that in my life. Even though I'm up here as the teacher, you have the right to expect me to grow. Now, what gives us that kind of growth? What produces that kind of growth? It's the Word of God that I've just encouraged you to handle and use and be a part of. It's the Word of God applied to your life by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God applied to your life by the Holy Spirit. Are you spiritually mature enough that you can see what's wrong in your life? Can you see your weak areas? Do you know what they are? Are you working on them? Are you willing to leave those weak areas behind as the Holy Spirit applies the Word of God to your life? Because when that happens, then He's going to show you what's right, and you have a choice to make. 
Am I going to release what's wrong? Am I going to reach for what's right and then act on it? Because as believers, our actions as a Christian living in Christ must replace the actions and the thoughts we had as a non-believer. So I want to ask you as an early point of application, what is shaping your life today? If I ask you, if you were alone, what is shaping your life? How would you fill in the blank? This blank is shaping my life today. Now, one word we could put in there for most people would be the word desire. It's what we want, what we want in life. People do what they want because of desire today. We have a generation of people that are pursuing only their desires. It's part of the the woke crowd today. That's what they're doing. To say, I deserve this. And God says, no. The only thing we deserve is hell itself. Anything else is grace in our life that the Lord gives us. So in verse 16, he's telling you and he's telling me that we are a holy people. Think about the Lord's Prayer. We pray, Our Father. So what are we doing? When we're praying, Our Father, we are acting like His child. We are to act like the child of God. Verse 16, You shall be holy, for I am holy. You've heard the expression, like father, like son. So we are the children of God. We should be acting like our Heavenly Father. Now in verse 17, He tells us another command that we are to walk in fear. Let's look at it. If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. So if you address as father, if we pray to God, our father, then we should live like his children. Do you live like a child of God? Now, he is a judge. Do you notice that word there? In verse 16, who judges. Now, we should know that God is our judge and that he judges fairly. Now, the difference between a believer and the unbeliever is we went through the doctrine of justification. The unbeliever is standing on his own and God sees the unbeliever and he's going to be judged. For the believer, he sees you, but Jesus Christ has stepped in front, so he sees Jesus before he sees you. So he's not judging you, but he is going to be looking at your works. Did you see that? Did you see that in verse, if you conduct yourself in fear, who will judge according to each one's works. Now I'm going to go back to Romans chapter 12 and just add something to that. Romans 12, 2, you can stay where you are. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Peter's talking about the not mind. The battle starts in the mind. So that you may prove what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we are going to be, as believers, rewarded by our works. You're going to be rewarded based on how you serve the Lord and what you do for the Lord. You don't have to do it perfectly. But are you available? Do you want to serve the Lord? Do you want to be in his house? Do you want to, what can I do around here? How can I help? What are the needs of the church? How can I step up and meet those needs? Now, our work isn't just what we do on Sunday. Do you realize that when you obey the Lord during the week, 
Something comes up and you have a decision to make. You can go this way, you can go that way. You know what the Lord wants you to do. When you obey the Lord during the week, you are worshiping him seven days a week. Not just in church. When you obey, you're worshiping the Lord seven days a week. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 14, 15. 14, 15, where Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, isn't that true? When you love someone, you want to do something for them. You want to be around them. So Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It isn't hard. It isn't a burden. You want to. You want to keep the commandments. You want to obey because you love him. So, so the Lord is deeply concerned about how we live and how we behave. So the question now is, are you, are you and I, are we deeply concerned about how we behave? Why? Because how we live reflects on the Lord because we are claiming to be Christians, and the name Christian has Christ's name in it. So when you tell someone you're a Christian, you're identifying with Jesus Christ. Listen to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Powerful, powerful. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So when a believer says, I read something in the Bible, and I'm just not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. I will not obey that biblical command. Now, as a believer, we must counsel ourselves every day, all day long, right now and over and over and over again. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Well, Lord, I don't want to do that. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Well, just pray and tell the Lord you don't want to do it. He knows your heart anyway. Say, Lord, help me. I don't want to do it. I'm supposed to do it. Help me with this. So we're not our own. We are God's children. So Peter says, conduct yourselves in fear. And we'll explain that word in just a minute. So conduct is action. It's how we live. So it speaks of our behavior. It speaks of our manner of life, or our habits, our lifestyle, even our vocabulary. You know, I don't know why. I, I do not understand it, but there's something about the younger generation of believers, and, I, and they have their strong points as well. But the younger generation, many of them have no problem with cussing. I don't understand that. But, but it, the, our Christ-like behavior includes our vocabulary and our words. So it's, it's not just a one-time thing. We're to live a focused life, putting our hope on Jesus Christ, and that translates into how we walk during the week, and we walk in the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord means respect or reverence. A great use of that is found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians 2, 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I thought you said that we believe in the sovereignty of God. We do, but it's a two-winged bird. You've got sovereignty. You've got human responsibility. God's sovereign. He saves. We have a responsibility. What is it? Work out your salvation, which is how you live. It's how you live during the week. 
and we work it out with fear and trembling. And even that's balanced by the veil being torn and coming boldly. The Christian life is a balance. So as one man said, the Christian life isn't all peaches and cream. And that's true. It can be a very hard fight. And that hard fight is not just with other people. And it's not just with circumstances in our life. That hard fight can begin with you and me. It can begin with ourselves. As we walk, as we walk the Christian life, one of the biggest things we have to fight is our own heart. Proverbs 4, I've said it many times, and I'm going to keep hammering it. Guard your heart. Read Ephesians 6, verse 10, where the Lord tells you what he provides and gives to you to help you fight. Now, Satan has aimed his weapons at your heart. And the battle's there. And his weapons are deadly. Don't ever think they aren't. So as we move into verse 18, now I got to get back there. I wasn't there. As we move into verse 18, we ask the question, all right, so how can we do this? How can we do it? Well, the thought that's hammering home here is that we can change. You can change. Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your, I'm changing it, useless way of life inherited from your forefathers. Now, let's look at how it starts. Knowing. Now, knowing something involves the mind. He talked about in verse 13, preparing your mind. So focus your mind on Christ and not your circumstances. Focus on Christ and not your circumstances. But first, you must know something. You've got to know something about the battlefield and the battleground that's taking place in your heart and in your mind. Proverbs 4, guard your heart. That's not the responsibility of a sovereign God. That's your responsibility, my responsibility. Guard your heart. Or another way of putting it, don't go there. Something that comes into your mind, you just stop, you put up the wall, and you say, don't go there, Steve. Don't go there. Don't think about that. David, Bathsheba. David saw Bathsheba. There was no sin involved there. Things happened. He should have turned away, walked away. He kept looking. That was his first problem. Then he started thinking about it. Don't go there. Guard your heart. He started thinking about it. Then he started asking questions. Who is that woman? I want to know who she is. I want to meet her. It kept going and going and going. David did not guard his heart. Don't go there, David. So no... Now, the negative, you were not redeemed with silver or gold. Silver and gold is valuable, but you were not redeemed with that. Now, the word redeemed is the key word here, which means to purchase or to, to attain a release by paying a ransom, to buy back a prisoner of war. MacArthur said this, The Puritan Thomas Watson rightly observed that redemption was God's greatest work. Great was the work of creation, but greater the work of redemption. It caused more to redeem us than to make us. In, the, in making, there was but the speaking of a word, and the other the shedding of blood. The creation was but the work of God's finger. Redemption is the work of his arm. 
That's powerful thought. It took Christ walking this earth and dying to redeem you and to redeem me. God spoke the world into into existence just like that. So silver and gold won't redeem you. So as an unbeliever, you were trapped in a life that had no meaning. And someone had to redeem you. I couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. So what is this unbeliever's life that he's talking about? What does it talk about? I think Peter himself gives us a definition of it. In 1 Peter 4, verse 3 and 4, I'll just highlight it. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. They're meaning the unbelievers. Having pursued a course of lust, drunkenness, drinking parties, and then you were converted, and all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them doing the same thing. So Peter's describing the unbelieving life there. Now, folks, that's what we're seeing today in corporate America. That's what we're seeing and you're dealing with when you go to work every day. That's what you're seeing in our government when we turn on the television. That's what you're seeing in college dorms and college classrooms. It's a hollow life. But Peter's telling these people who are hurting and suffering, God saved you from that. Focus on that. Now, let's admit it. It's easy to live right at church, isn't it? It's easy to do it. But what about living in a corrupt world? In verses 18 to 21, Peter is saying, focus your mind on Christ. Walk day to day in the fear of the Lord. Think about the price God paid for you, and it's huge. Because what can we do to redeem ourselves? Nothing. So he said, remember your salvation and what it cost Jesus Christ. Verse 19. What did he do? What did he pay? But with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. It starts off, but with, not just the blood of Jesus Christ, but the precious blood of Christ. So the application would be, what is precious to you today? How would you fill in the blank? What is precious to you today? What do you hold in the highest possible position? How would you fill in that blank? For God the Father, he's describing the blood of Jesus as precious. So because of that precious blood and the change has taken place in your life and my life, there is going to be an unstoppable change in your life if you're a believer. It's unstoppable. Now, how fast that change takes place or how slow it takes place is up to you. If you don't want that change and you don't appreciate it, you're fighting the Holy Spirit in your life, that change is going to come very slowly. But if you're saying, Lord, I want that change. Change my heart. Change my life. Change my mind, my thoughts, my vocabulary that change is going to come faster. So it's based on the precious blood of Jesus Christ, not the FDIC that's insuring your CD. It's not based on a cute little lamb in the temple. No, this is what you have already received from Christ. 
So the unbeliever is bound to his desires. One of our jobs is to help people see their sinful ways. And this applies to all of us, not just the deacons and the elders, but this applies to all of us. So how does God want you to talk about the people around you? How does God want you to talk about the people around you? How about your ex, your ex-husband or your ex-wife? or How about your mother-in-law? We've all heard the mother-in-law jokes. I'm thankful that I have a good mother-in-law. I don't have to be concerned about my mother-in-law. How about that boss that you can't get along with? I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be on a job and have a bad boss. And when you're heading for work, you don't want to be there. Once you walk in, you're looking over your shoulder all the time. How about when you're standing around the kitchen or the office, the water cooler or whatever it may be, and and other employees are talking about the boss or whatever it may be, how do you respond? How does God want you to respond in a situation like that? We have the answer in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, and folks, it will knock you over. How does God want you to deal with that person, that bad boss who makes your life difficult? Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. You're in school. You have bullies that are picking on you, whatever it may be. Well, how does God want you to respond? Bless those who persecute you. This is powerful, powerful stuff. Now, as we move into verse 20, we see that God has always had a plan. Verse 20. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Now, remember when we started out, for, I think it was the first message we had in verse three, he, verse two of chapter one, he talks about the foreknowledge of God. And we're talking about all these people that, who have lost so much. They've lost their homes. They've lost family members. They've been separated. They've lost their jobs and their careers. And a, a typical counselor would say, OK, let's list all your problems. OK, this is how we'll address this one. This is how we'll address that one. Peter didn't do it that way. So in verse 20, he falls back again on doctrine and theology. Bless his heart, he just can't help it. It just comes out. Verse 3, first thing he says about the people and their problems, the foreknowledge of God. Verse 20, again, who was foreknown before the foundation of the world. His, the foundation of his counseling session for hurting people is doctrine and theology. It's amazing. And he's telling us that God's plan isn't new. Genesis chapter 3, when sin came into the world, we have the first hint of the gospel in Genesis 3. So God isn't caught off guard by the sin in this world. He isn't caught off guard by our corrupt government. He isn't caught off guard by the wokeness that we're all dealing with today. No. Verse 20 talks about foreknown. So it tells you God knew all about your problems before the world was even created. Wow. Now he writes, and he sounds like a preacher. At the end he says, who has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. He makes it personal. Now, we talk about heaven. 
And we don't really know what heaven is like. We got a little bit, not much. But Jesus, Jesus knew what heaven was. And he walked away from the glory of heaven to walk this world to pay the ransom for you. McGee said this. I like this. The cross of Christ was not an ambulance sent to a wreck. (laughs) The cross of Christ was not an ambulance sent to a wreck. So sin came into the world, and God said, Oh, my goodness, what am I going to do now? No. It's part of God's plan all along. So Peter's saying to the hurting people and to you and to me, it is a privilege for you to live in these last days. It's a privilege. Now, we can debate when the last days started. Some, some preachers today want to talk as if right now is the last days, and technically they're right. Some will say the last days started when Israel became a nation. That's not what the Bible teaches. The last days started with Jesus. And we can debate whether it was the cross of Christ or the birth of Christ, but that's when the last days started. You and I are living in the last days. All right, verse 21. Let's pick it up. Who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So for all believers who were foreknown before the foundation of the world was created, because Christ successfully walked this world, you have hope. Now let me ask you a question. Are you starting to feel better? Are you starting to feel a little better than you were when you walked in? Now, I know it's a Presbyterian church. Maybe we need a little Baptist in us from time to time. Are you starting to feel better? Someone said to me last Sunday, I was going to say amen. And I said, go and do it. Go and say amen. But be careful when you say it. If we're talking about hell or something like that, don't say amen then. Amen means let it be or so be it. But if you feel like saying amen, go and say it. He talks about who raised Jesus from the dead. So Peter, in answering these people with all of their problem, he keeps pointing them back to the resurrection of Jesus, saying, if you believe, you will be raised from the dead. You hurting people of chapter 1, by trusting in Jesus Christ, you have gained something very valuable. Do you see it that way? And you've also lost some things. The people in chapter 1, they've lost their homes. They've lost family members. But here's where he's going. This is how you and I handle suffering and loss in our lives. This is how we do it. So Peter points us to two of the most powerful emotions that govern our lives. That is love and fear. Love and fear many times guide us in making decisions. As far as love, do you see the price that God paid for you? Does it move you? Fear. The fear of not appreciating what God's love has done for you. So, don't take it for granted. Now, there are some churches that have the Lord's Supper every week. Nothing wrong with that. 
it's wonderful to do that. We do it once a month. One reason I want to do it once a month is because I just want to make sure as sinners that we don't take it for granted. It's going to be once a month. So don't take for granted the ransom that God has paid for you. Don't take it lightly. And now as we move on, so how do we live in a godless and corrupt culture? How do we live? In verses 13 through 16, Peter moves from physical trials to spiritual temptation. Okay, so how do we stay hopeful in a corrupt culture? Well, we could become a monk. We could circle the wagons. We can all as Christians move inside the building and study God's word alone. And only believers are allowed in. So is the only answer then to withdraw from the world? Christians have a ministry. We have a job to do. The Lord has given us a job while we're in this world. Jesus wants us to live. I've been using this on Sunday nights. He wants us to live a godly, successful, joyful life wherever we find ourselves. Wherever we find ourselves. He wants us to tell other believers and, and the lost about what Christ has done for us. Swindoll, who has very good with words, put it this way. It's not isolation, but insulation. If you've ever been a part of building a house, you know what the difference is. You put insulation in the wall. You've got the heat on inside. Keeps the cold out. In the summertime, you've got the air conditioner running. It keeps the heat out. We're insulated. He does not want us to be isolated in this world, but to be insulated. So Peter's challenging us to be different than the world around us. As he writes here, we can almost just feel the passion in his words. And he knows that the pull of the world is strong because he has experienced it himself. He has given into it himself. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't do what I did. He's telling us we can overcome and grow to be Christ-like through our sufferings. So we have the word redeemed in 18 or redemption. So, folks, you were purchased. Now, I'm going to give away my age now. When I was young and just a kid, I'd go to the grocery store with my mother, and she'd pay for the groceries, and then they would give her S&H green stamps. You were mouthing it, weren't you, Janie? They would give her S&H green stamps. Now, I'm showing my age now. But she had a book, and she'd take those stamps, and she'd put the stamps in the book, and as she accumulated stamps, she could redeem the stamps. She could turn the stamps in, and she could get a toaster or a barbecue grill or whatever it may be. That's the idea that we're talking about here, to redeem. You could redeem the stamps for something. The Bible speaks of redemption as God buying you back from slavery. Now, slavery is a hot-button issue today. The Bible does not avoid slavery. God bought you back from slavery. Now, that's how we deal with it. And you might say, well, I can't do all that. I can't change. I've used this illustration before, but it, it fits. Remember two years ago, we all saw the riots on TV, the buildings burning and people running into stores and just coming out with all kinds of merchandise. And 
there was one girl and they stopped her and a reporter asked her about why she was doing that. Do you feel bad doing that? And she said, that store owes me this stuff. Owes me. Why? Well, I can't change because of my background. I can't change because of the home I grew up in or my poverty or lack of education or my skin color, whatever it may be. I can't do anything about it. Now, the Bible has good news for us there. You can change. And as a believer, the Lord expects you to change. Jay Adams said, as far as not changing, some people actually believe such nonsense. If there's anybody who had a right to be mad at the world, it was Corey Tenboom, Thrown into a concentration camp with her family. It's 20 degrees, zero degrees outside. They give her one thin blanket. She watches her family members die one at a time. And she walks out and she's committed to the Lord and she dedicates her life to serving the Lord for the rest of her life. She had every right to say, I can't change. She didn't do that. So redeemed means you have been set free. I can't change. Well, I remember the illustration of the slaves right after the Civil War. Slaves are free. And they're walking down the street, and their old master comes up to one of them and says, Hey, go in there and get my groceries and put them in a wagon. The slave, okay, yes. And he said, Wait a minute. I don't have to do that anymore. And the devil's going to be saying to you, Do this, do that. And you can stand up and say, I don't have to do that anymore. I'm free. I've been redeemed. Now, folks, if that's not true, then God is a liar. You are not what others have done to you. You can, and you're expected to change. The perfect, there's no perfect home, but the best home has parents who have some faults. Use a word that we don't like to word, but the, use, but the Bible talks about radical change. And the Bible says you are responsible. I am responsible. All right, let me start wrapping this up. Peter's saying, think on these things, your salvation. And folks, it takes backbone and it takes guts to confront an unbelieving world and culture today. But that's our job. As Peter says in 3.15, we do it with grace, we do it with reverence. But one of our problems is, is we fear what other people say. This woke crowd doesn't fear saying whatever they want to to you. Why are we afraid to speak up about what we know we should say? We want to be accepted. Now, ask the Lord to give you the courage to proclaim his word with boldness and love the fruit of the Spirit, to, to use the fruit of the Spirit in proclaiming it. Our culture is, is full of opinions. The NIV commentary put it this way. We are committed to the scriptures. Now, it's easy for us to get off track. We can get off track with social services, feeding the poor, and thinking we're doing a good job. That's not a substitute for salvation. These people in chapter 1 are hurting. They've lost things. They need things. Peter 
isn't talking about what they need as far as food or shelter, and there is a place for that. He's talking about their greatest need, which is salvation. So feeding the poor is not a substitute for salvation. Many times we want to focus on the consequences and not the cause. When things get out of hand and out of balance in our lives and in the church, many times it's the miracle of salvation that's lost and not the social service side. Think about the YMCA. YMCA started out as a Christian organization. What is it today? It's not that. They started out to lead people to Jesus. People today probably do not know what the C stands for in YMCA. It stands for Christian. Peter's pointing us to a holy life by telling us to look to Jesus. He's your model. You imitate him. You copy him. He's your pattern for living. How did he suffer? Copy his example. Where do you find Christ in the Bible? You find him in the Gospels. So maybe you want to take a one-year study and just focus on the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What did Jesus do? How did he handle? How did he suffer? How did he confront people? Well, with that, we better stop. I'm running out of time. Let's, let's pray, Lord. Father, we thank you for this very practical book by a man that you used who is not a perfect man, but we see him growing to become the rock that you said he would be and the statesman for the church. And we know, Lord, that that's what you want for all of us today. So we pray that you would accomplish your will in our lives. And we pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.